Good morning. Uh, let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here this morning. Thank you, praise team. What do I say all the time about our praise team and praying for them? What do I say? Pray that God would reveal the glory of who he is and his son to them as they lead us in worship. Because uh, as their hearts are stirred, they will, by the grace of God, be able to stir our hearts and lead us in worship. I'm going to voice my appreciation to uh, those who worked in so many different ways over the weekend. We had a great men's retreat. God gave us the perfect weekend weather-wise, wasn't it? Just beautiful. And then the teaching on Friday night from Jim Dowdy, challenging the men as far as First uh, Peter 3 and attitudes towards their wives. And then a couple of our teens shared, Ethan and Stephen. That's always great. And then we had just a lot of different activities so that uh, fathers with their children, and it didn't have to be a father to be there, but just a lot of folks out doing things. How many built uh, this shelf? With the hooks on it. Raise your hand. That was totally awesome. Wasn't it? And then, then I listened to Jay talk about livestock. I've known Jay for 14 years. And we learned some interesting stuff about livestock. You see cows out in the pasture, horses. And, and you begin to learn some of this stuff. It was very, very encouraging. So I was encouraged with our weekend. And uh, all those who contributed in many different ways. All right, you, you see the topic that I am going to be speaking to, an indescribable gift. Kind of looks like Christmas, doesn't it? You think, oh, he's confused. <laughs> this old age, he's confused. He's thinking it's Christmas. Now, uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This statement actually comes at the end of chapter 9, where Paul says, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. We just finished our study of the life of David. And in about a month, I'm looking to take up the book of Acts. How many of you would like us to go to the New Testament and study the book of Acts? Uh, hopefully, uh, you're going to be here anyways. I guess you're starting to stay home, but it looks like that's the direction we're going. But before starting that series, I'm going to spend a couple of Sundays talking about giving, finances, money. And then after that, we're going to have our missions. Well, I'm going to be gone for a week, and then yeah, I'm going to speak on giving and then get out of town. For a week. And then after that's our missions conference. I'm excited about our missions conference. We got Sherman uh, Driver coming in and Brooks uh, Busser coming in. And uh, these guys, I think, are really going to challenge us for a weekend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So make sure that's on your calendar. It's going to be a great, great weekend for us. But today our topic is that of giving. Why? Why would I take up that topic? Well, one reason I should is because there's an awful lot in Scripture on this whole topic of, of monies and, and, and giving and being generous people. So that's one reason. But I'm just going to be honest with you, and I'm going to put my cards on the table. I am out over the next couple of Sundays to motivate you to give more generously to this church. All right. Can I just put my cards on the table and say, hey, I can. That's 65, actually 66 now is your pastor. I'm just going to say, hey, look, I'm going to encourage us to give more generously to this church. Because we've grown and our needs have grown and 
Great reserves, and so there's not this huge need. But every month, I mean, we just ticked off a little bit and moved away from the resources we've had. And so I just want to stir your hearts to give and to give generously, sacrificially, graciously, joyfully to Charleston Bible Church. Let me start out with a story that comes from a true story from a, a Reverend Don Holzapple. That's quite a name. He, he was a Baptist preacher, and he tells a story on himself. He re- received a phone call from a woman who was upset that her pet cat Homer had died, and she, she wanted Holzapple to do the funeral service for Homer. And he explained it was a little outside of his line of things that he was comfortable doing, and so he referred her to a friend who was a Presbyterian minister down the, down the street. And he learned later that the Presbyterian preacher referred her to a Methodist preacher who referred her to somebody else. And so about an hour later, Holzapple is getting a phone call again. And this woman is, 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 is all upset. She said she was at her wit's end, couldn't find a preacher to do homer service and didn't know what to do. And, and then she added, I, I intend to give $1,000 to the church of the minister who performed the service. Holzapple said it took him only a moment to mull it over. And, and he said there, he said, well, why didn't you tell me Homer was a Baptist cat in the first place? Why didn't you tell me he was a Baptist? Oh, I'll gladly do it now. The thousand dollars helps for sure. Preachers are known to say and do the goofiest things in regard to money, aren't they? You, you maybe heard somebody, you almost certainly have heard a preacher say something that's just kind of goofy, and it's like, where do they come up with that, you know? Well, what I want to do is take us to God's Word and talk about money. So then uh, our discussion is with God's Word and, and what He has to say about our giving. And we're going to Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 which are by far the most extensive treatment on giving in all of the Bible. So it's like, wow, this is great. This extensive treatment on giving. And the context is basically this. Paul is raising monies for a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem. From what I understand, there was a famine and they needed some help. And And so the church in Corinth had started to raise monies for this relief offering, but they stalled out. They didn't complete what they had started. And so in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, Paul is writing extensively to motivate them. It's all about motivation to finish what they had started, this offering for the church in Jerusalem. And so what we find, and this is just great for somebody who wants to speak on giving and and monies, Paul layers one motivation on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. There's some eight dynamics he deals with. and It's all very positive. So, So I'm hoping over these two weeks to... Look at some of those motivations and, and, and stir our minds and our hearts in new ways. First motivation I want us to look at is actually at the very end of all that he has to say. Chapter 9, verse 15, and it's gratitude to God for His goodness in giving His Son. Notice how chapter 9, verse 15 ends. This is the end of this whole discussion on giving, motivation. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. 
Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The most of us like Chick-fil-A. Uh, they were just on the news. Uh, actually, I think it was on Facebook. I read about them at Purdue University. The LGBTQ community wanted them to be ousted from Purdue. And, and the university stood in and said, no, no, they're, they're, they're going to be allowed to stay here. Isn't that great? Great organization, I believe. Uh, how many of us enjoy Chick-fil-A? Almost every hand goes up. Yeah. There are a few of you, probably a hand didn't go up. I'd like to know why not. Maybe you don't like chicken. Uh, but occasionally, and uh, actually, uh, oftentimes, Diane and I will go to Chick-fil-A, and, and one of the things we will order is a shake. Cookies and cream, large shake, and we'll split it. That's why I'm in such buff condition, because we split food like that. Don't eat a whole large shake. But, but though, they may ask if I don't volunteer and say, look, I want whipped topping and a cherry. Right? They may ask you, do you want whipped topping and a cherry? And the answer is yes. I mean, of course you want a whipped topping and, and cherry. And my point is that what we find in chapter 9, verse 15 is the cherry, I believe, on top of all of Paul's motivations. The cherry on top. It, it's the last one. And I believe it may very well be his greatest one. Well, what should motivate us to be generous people and to give away our money? Oh, oh indeed, you give away my money. What should motivate us? Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. New Living Translation. Thank God. For this gift, too wonderful for words. Isn't that, isn't that a good translation? Thank God for this gift that's too wonderful for words. Strong's writes, adequate words cannot be found to correctly describe the object. So, so this gift, the gift of God's Son, you really can't find words to describe it. And so Paul's point is that our gratitude to God for the gift of His Son should stir our hearts, should, should motivate us to give our monies joyfully, generously, sacrificially to the people of God, to the work of God. But that's his point. He's not twisting your arm behind your back. He said, look, look, you just think of this gift that God's given to you. That Doesn't it stir your heart to want to give? One of my favorite films is this one here. What, what is this movie? Probably 75 years ago they made this. What, what is it? It's a Wonderful Life. Jimmy Stewart. Oh, it's a heart warmer. It'll make you cry. And he plays George Bailey, who's always putting aside his plans, was for the needs of others, right? That, that's how it goes. Uh, his dad dies, and so he ends up taking over the Bailey building and loan. There's this financial collapse, and so he gives away his money. He's going, I believe, on his honeymoon for the people of Bedford Falls. His brother Harry wanted to go to college, and so George gives up his plans. And so it's Christmas Eve, and, and George Bailey's in trouble with the law. You, you recognize the storyline, right? He's in trouble with the law because his uncle foolishly had lost some of the bank monies and so bank auditors are auditing. And, and he says, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd never been born. And so the angel, what's his name? 
Clarence comes down and convinces him to live. But George Bailey's allowed to see how things would have been had he never been born. The impact of his always having sacrificed for others. He's allowed to see what would be the impact if George had not been born. The question I want to raise is, what if Jesus had never been born? What if there was no John 3.16, that God did not love the world and did not give his son? What if there was no indescribable gift? Oh, to think in terms of that. But God did love the world, didn't he? And sent his son in this indescribable gift. Turn to Romans 5. In Romans 5, we're given some of the benefits of Christ's coming. And so knowing this indescribable gift and all it means for us as we look at a few of these things should stir our minds and our hearts to say, I want to be a generous person. I want to give. We read in Romans 5, beginning with verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so Paul is just delineating some of these benefits that are ours because of Christ. Because of Christ, he starts out, he says, we have peace with God. I'm no longer under his wrath. The relationship has been restored. He's given me the gift of his spirit. Paul goes on to say in verse 2, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in God's favor in Christ. And so Romans 8.32, he who spared not his own thing, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him... Freely give us all things. Our Romans 8.28, we know that God works all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purposes. We stand in God's grace. And then Paul goes on to say at the end of verse 3 or 2, we exalt in hope of the glory of God, things to come that are ours because of Christ. And then he even goes on to add, we exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that God is at work in our tribulations as he accomplishes his purposes. So, so Paul just delineates one after another the benefits because of Christ. And so let's take that thinking back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our gratitude to God for the gift of his son, Paul says, should lay hold of our hearts. It should motivate us to give of our resources, to give joyfully and generously and sacrificially to the people of God, to the activity of God, to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. And I would hope, in in speaking of that, that it would provide motivation for us. Just to think in, in those terms. Isaac Watts is... One of the greatest hymn writers ever wrote some 750 hymns. His best known is probably When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
And the first stanza goes, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And then the final and last stanza goes this way, Were the whole realm of nature mine? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so he's speaking of what God has done for us through the cross of Christ. And, and he concludes, uh, uh, Watts does by saying, where the whole realm of nature mine? Did I have all of the created order? It still would be an offering far too small. Wow. May that kind of thinking lay hold of our, our hearts. Amen? Anybody wanting to speak up and say, hey, let's take a second offering? Not motivated that much yet, huh? I was talking to Virgil. He said that the church he used to attend, they had three offerings. Wasn't it, Virgil? Three. Wow. That's something. All right, we're looking at 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9. Stir our hearts to be generous, joyful, sacrificial givers. I don't think it would help me to lay a guilt trip on you. Because I don't think the most of us are, are motivated out of guilt. Uh, I'm not saying guilt is always a bad motivator, because I think sometimes it's a very good motivator. But, but Paul really doesn't work the most of what he has to say in that arena of guilt. It, it, it's just these positive motivations. Gratitude. For the second motivation, I'm going to take us from the end of our passage, chapter 9, verse 15, to the very beginning of our passage. And you may be thinking, why didn't you start there? Well, we're going to go there now, and this is probably the cherry on top, and so it's probably the most important motivation. But a second motivation that we find. And isn't this neat? Uh, I hope you're thinking, you know, this whole section is given over to motivation for giving. Well, I want to learn about what my motivation should be. And that's what this section is all about. I'm not making this stuff up. We're just looking at what God has to say or what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. As far as, hey, what stirs our hearts to, to take out our billfold? Yeah. Or to take out our phones these days and text something by texting or whatever. Second big idea is this, the challenging example of others in their giving. Paul starts out by holding up Two examples of sacrificial giving that he wants to say, boy, this should really stir your hearts. And one of those is the churches in Macedonia, and the other is Jesus Christ. And he wants to say, look at these people, look at Christ, and their sacrificial giving. That should stir your hearts to, to, to be just like them, to, to follow their example. And so he starts out talking about the churches in Macedonia. Well, Corinth is to the south and Achaia, and so the churches in Macedonia are to the north. All right? And so they were a part of this offering. And so he says, look, look at their example. And so he writes this, now, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. That begging us, 
begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so Paul here hold, holding up the churches in, in Macedonia, saying, look at their example. Wow. Let, let me point out three things from their example. First one in verse 1 is the cause of their giving. Paul says, now, brethren, we wish make to, to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And so he's saying that those in Macedonia gave and gave generously, liberally, because of God's activity in their midst. That's what he says. I want to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in or to the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God at work in their midst stirred them to give. Charles Dickens wrote a Christmas carol. Who's the leading character? Who is it? You gotta say Ebenezer Scrooge. Right? And at the beginning of what he writes, he describes the character of Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. There he is. That's a good picture of him. And he has this, oh, but, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel had ever struck generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his features, nipped his nose, shriveled his neck, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head, and now on his eyebrows and his wiry chin, he, he carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days and then thought one degree at Christmas. <laughs> what a great description, isn't it? Wish you could write, I wish I could write like that, speak like that. But, but we know how the story goes. He was visited by the ghost of Christmas past and present and future. And old Scrooge was changed. Right? He became this generous man and he was helping so many people. If you'll allow me using that illustration to transition to our passage. When God is at work in our lives, when His grace is being manifested in our lives, it changes us. His grace sets us free. Does it not? His grace, it, it opens up our hearts and our hands and it turns us into sincere, generous people. That's what Paul is saying. Those in the churches in Macedonia had experienced the grace of God and they were different people. And you know that's the case, don't you? We know that's the case when we experience the grace of God and a new heart. God's been so good to us. We want to give. That's the first thing Paul mentions. The second thing he mentions is the circumstances of their giving. And this is enough to blow us away. See, so Paul's holding them up and saying, look at this example. He says, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Let me reread verse 2. 
the circumstances of their giving, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. And so Paul, as he describes the churches in Macedonia, says they were in a great ordeal of affliction. In other words, they were under intense persecution. They were being persecuted for their following Christ. And then he adds in their deep poverty. So he combines those ideas and speaks of their persecution and their poverty. And yet, he says, they had an abundance of joy that overflowed with great liberality. Isn't that amazing? The cause of their giving was the grace of God. And the circumstances of their giving were persecution and poverty. Wow. Persecution and poverty. They still gave liberally. And in fact, that that moves us to the third idea I want us to notice, and that is the earnestness of their giving. The cause, the grace of God, their circumstances, poverty and persecution. And then the earnestness of their giving. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And so he talks about the earnestness of their giving. Which is seen, number one, they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave. They caused it above and beyond what they were able. Should maybe cause us to think of Jesus as, as he's at the temple and he's, and he's watching people put in their offering. And what does he see? He sees this widow throw in a penny. And he says to his disciples, she put in more than all the rest because she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of her poverty. She gave according and beyond her ability. According to her ability and beyond. And then Paul adds, they gave of their own accord. They wanted to give. They gave of their own accord. They wanted to give. There was no twisting of arms. Did you see that? I'm not out to twist your arm today. There's no twisting of arms. It was all God's grace at work. And in fact, he goes on to say in verse 4, this third idea of their earnestness, they were what? Notice verse 4. Notice verse 4. That that blows us away. They were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Oh, isn't this amazing? They were begging for the opportunity to give and to help. Begging. And in fact, begging, he says, with much urgency, with a, begging us with much urging for the favorites. It's almost as if Paul had to curtail their zeal, right? They're begging for and urging for the opportunity to contribute to the churches in Jerusalem. And Paul may be thinking, you have persecution. Others had persecution, and they did in Macedonia, persecution and poverty. And here they want to give so. Begging. And then this through our hearts. 
Oh, that we would do our offering like that on a Sunday morning, that, that you'd be called forward, our ushers would be called forward, and, and as they come forward, there'd be a few people in the back who would speak up and say, Hey, 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 uh, you always start in the front. We want you to start in the back. I can't wait to put my offering in the plate. There's a thought, right? Begging for the opportunity to give. And so in verses 1 through 6, what is Paul doing? He's holding up the churches in Macedonia and saying, look, here's a great model. You want an example of giving? Look at the churches to the north. Wow. And then verse 7, he says, Just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. You abound in many things. See that you abound in giving graciously to this need. And then verse 8, I'm not speaking this as a command. I'm not commanding you. But as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. And so Paul wanting to say, look, I'm not commanding you to give. I want to see the earnestness of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others, by the earnestness of those in the churches up in Macedonia. Look at what they've done. Let's look at what they've done. And how about you? Right? I just want to, to, to compare it to the earnestness of others. Their generosity, their sacrifice, out of their circumstances... Boy, what, what, what an encouragement. What motivation. It'd be like us taking an offering for a building fund and having the church in Cuba beg for the opportunity to contribute. That'd blow us away. With all their need and their poverty and their persecution to have Pastor Oliver say, Hey, I hear you're, you're raising money because you want to put up a new, new facility. Here's a thousand dollars. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Paul gives a second example. Greater than the first. In verse nine, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And so Paul holds up Christ as the example to be followed. The fact that Christ went from riches to rags, so we could go from rags to riches. And his point is that the example of Christ should challenge us, should stir our hearts, should compel us to give. Generously, sacrificially. He's saying, look at Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but he came poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. But let me hold up this example. Why don't you compare your giving to him? Wow. Wow, Paul. Lisa Lashney. Many of us know the Lashneys. And Donna Miller have posted quite regularly of their, their struggles and their suffering. Many of you with Facebook, you see their post. And both of them are in this life and death struggle with their diseases. They are. If you've been following their post, some of the things they've been sharing. And Recently, actually I believe it was Thursday, Lisa posted and 
She had this song, It Is Well With My Soul. There you see Lisa Ann Lashney. And we're familiar with this story. She, she gives some of the background to the story. Horatio Spafford, remember his family's wife and daughters, I believe there were four of them, were trans- crossing the Atlantic on a boat that sank and all four daughters drowned. And so Horatio Spafford is going to Europe to be with his wife and at the spot supposedly where the boat went down and his daughter's lives were lost, he wrote this song, It Is Well With My Soul. So, so she writes about the history, and, and, and then she writes this. She says, my dear friend, a good attitude will determine your altitude. When you look at your life, career, job, or family life, what do you say? Do you praise God? Blame the devil? A good attitude towards God makes him move on your behalf. Just sit down and say, today, God, it is well with my soul. I am thankful I had a peaceful sleep. I am thankful I am alive with possibilities. I am thankful I have a roof over my head. I am thankful I have a job. I am thankful I have family and friends. Above all, I am thankful that I have the Lord Jesus Christ on my side. Be blessed and don't be envious or shocked when others are prospering because you don't know what they have been through to get there. The tests and trials and tribulations. So thank God for what you have. Little as much when God is in it. It is well with my soul. And my point is that we read of Lisa and her challenges and her faith, and we learn from her example, don't we? Well, we're challenged by her example, challenged by it, her faith and her trials. And I want to take that back to 2 Corinthians 8. That's Paul's point. That's his point in our giving. We're to be challenged by the example of others. That's what he wants to say. As I'm trying to stir your hearts to give generously to the needs in Jerusalem. I want to do so by raising up the examples of of some different individuals. The example of Christ or the example of the churches in Macedonia. He says, look at them. And then see your earnestness compared with theirs. And see if it doesn't cause you to think in new ways. That's exactly what he's doing. Exactly what he's doing. And so we ask, what do we learn? What are we challenged? I think we're challenged with this. That giving is not a matter of convenience. It calls for tough choices. It calls for sacrifice. It's not a matter of convenience. There's no convenience when it comes to the churches in Macedonia and their giving. There's no convenience on the part of Christ. It's tough choices. It's sacrifice. Let me close. I've been up front from the very beginning that I'm taking us to these two chapters because I want to motivate you to give to Charleston Bible Church. Not just to us. We give to a lot of different things, right? But my desire is to motivate you to give to Charleston Bible Church and to give generously and to give sacrificially. And here at at Charleston Bible Church, this may surprise some of you, but we do not teach tithing. What's a tithe? A tithe is 10%. Uh, I went to Charles Stanley's church in Atlanta. Boy, and they they wanted to stir your hearts when they took the offering. I'm looking at Diana because I believe we would all stand when they took the offering and they would have you say, tithing, the Bible teaches it, I believe it, that's good enough for me. The whole congregation would, would get up and recite that. The leadership here believes that 
Tithing is an Old Testament. It's an Old Covenant standard. And, and actually, were you to study it, they gave three tithes. So if you want to push back and say, oh, I want to get back to, to that standard, I, I want to do what they did in the Old Testament. Well, there were three tithes under the Old Covenant to the poor, to the priest, and, and to the temple service. So they're like 23% they would give. We don't teach tithing here. We believe that the proper understanding of Scripture is free will giving. Free will giving. Giving that is done out of gratitude, realizing we're stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us, that, that we want to invest what we have for the things of the kingdom and for eternity. And so where that leaves us is, I'm not putting you under the law. I'm, I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm. I'm just hoping to take us to a passage where, where Paul is attempting to stir people's hearts and say, look, doesn't it want to, doesn't it make you want to take out your billfold and, and, and your bag, your money bag and give to these needs? I'm all on the up and up. Told you the reason I'm preaching this. Trying to stir our hearts and, and the, Big reasons are gratitude. My heart is filled with gratitude. I want to give. Or are the challenging example of others. Look at what others are able to do. Well, I want to go ahead and give in a like manner. My application. I've been honest about my desire, why we've been here. Is, and I've got here, I feel a bit awkward talking about money for a preacher. I, uh, can anybody remember the last time I preached on giving and money? No, there's not a hand up because it's been a long, long, long time. A long time. Uh, I shouldn't feel awkward about it though, when I take us to God's Word. And to say, will you please give faithfully, systematically, generously, and sacrificially to Charleston Bible Church as we seek to be more and more the church God would have us be. We're growing, and we need to grow in our giving. Very straightforward, isn't it? Though don't you appreciate a pastor who does that? Just very straightforward. Yeah. In, in this, I've been reading of, and y'all are getting pretty quiet. We're not going to take another offering now. Okay. I've been reading of millennials, those 20 to 40 years old, and they're giving, and and, and the article, this was from Lifeway. It said that millennials give. But millennials give more impulsively as they're made aware of needs. That's the millennials. There's certain things that characterize different generations. See, my generation, if I ask Jay Marshall, who's my generation, to pull out his billfold, I bet she's got a couple hundred bucks in it. And most millennials, man, they, they, they don't carry cash, right? It's kind of fun, just the differences. Don't carry cash. It's, it's, it's plastic. But, but I've been reading of, of millennials, and it says that they give, but they give more impulsively as they're made aware of needs. As they read about something on Facebook or social media, or a friend tells them about a need, and so they're, they're stirred by that, and they give. You know, at Charleston Bible Church, it can look like we don't have many needs. Can it? I mean, look at me. I, I've got a pretty nice coat on and a nice tie. I'm not up here in rags. You know, we don't look at Danny and his family and they're gaunt and they're, they're losing weight. They, they didn't have all six of them piled on a moped driving up. <laughs> Just go to Europe or India, not Europe, but India, one of those countries, and you, you see about that many piled up on a moped driving on in. And the lights always come on. You come in and the, the lights go on. 
there's AC or there's heat. And it's through the faithful week in and week out giving of folks that our needs are consistently met. So I want to say thank you. I do. I wouldn't want this to be some sense of, boy, he's really twisting our arms. He's really laying the guilt trip. No, 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 no. No, not, I don't want to do that at all. But I do believe as we move into the future, the resources we'll need as you give will help us become more and more the church would have us be. And so it's this positive sense, becoming the church God would have us be. Amen? And then motivated, motivated. Because of the gratitude we have to God for what He's doing in our lives and in our midst, or because of others, or because of the gift of Christ. And it's kind of like, you know, I want to give. I want to give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I like it, Father, when I can preach your word and have this confidence that I'm declaring exactly what it says. And this passage is just really very straightforward. Paul's trying to stir hearts. Give, give generously. I'm wanting to stir hearts. Give and give generously to the work of the kingdom. So I thank you. Father, we thank you as we talk about giving for your faithfulness. This church has been around for some 65 years. And you have always provided. We give you praise. And as we move into the future, we look to you. We declare dependence upon you as you work through people like us to see this church become more and more what you'd have it be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.